Hi, I'm River and I'm here at the Byron Writers Festival with author and Southern Cross graduate Jessie Cole. Jessie has written four books to great critical acclaim. Her new memoir, Desire, A Reckoning, has just been published and is already attracting a lot of attention. Jessie, welcome. Thank you. So Jessie, I just watched you on an amazing panel uh, about female desire. Would you be able to tell us a little bit about that? Um, so the panel, I think, was aimed at, I suppose, focusing on female desire as opposed to male desire. Um, and the other panellist, Nikki Gemmel, has written a book that was about um, a relationship she'd had in her 20s that had been actually quite destructive of her sense of self. Well, and I've written a book about a relationship that I've had in my late 30s, early 40s, um, where I think I got to explore my own desire or prioritise my own desire. So it was a a discussion between the two of us. Mm, great. You said something there that I just want to ask a question about. So you said that um, it was called female desire and that you speculated that that was in opposition to male desire. I was wondering if you wanted to speak on whether or not it's necessary to define desire as female, which would insinuate that it is a subcategory of male desire. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, I don't think it's necessary to do that, I suppose. Um, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? I do think that desire has, in a historical, cultural sense, often been defined by men. And, um, and also in terms of, I think we spoke about it on the panel, in terms of the way that women are often taught to, um, taught, I, in a sense, to prioritise whether or not they're desirable over what it is they might internally feel, um, you know, in terms of when they even think about desire. Um, so I suppose I think it's important for women to to be able to have a space where we talk about what it is that we actually desire. It doesn't have to be even around sex, but um, in a really broad sense because it, it, it is something that I think is often... I don't know, not uh, not explored in a cultural public sense, but also that we're not even necessarily encouraged to explore privately. Mm, we're not encouraged to explore privately. I think that is a really big sentiment um, that is definitely part of you know the feminist movement that is still fighting for that for mm. the ability to explore privately yes that's true yeah. yeah so the the turnout for it um i mean the the tent was overflowing of people both sections were full of people um do you think that the social landscape then i guess you've kind of already spoken on this but i'll, I'll ask it as a specific question do you think the social landscape of female desire is changing in relation to how many people were at that event? Yeah, I definitely think it's changing. And I think Nikki spoke about this too, that, you know, the post Me Too movement has really, um, has really shifted the landscape in that sense because it's allowed a lot more space for women to be honest about trauma and I do think there's a really big overlap. Like if we're going to investigate or examine female desire, we have to talk about trauma because it's so, so, um, 
common. Mm-hmm. And and I, I mean, I I, w- I know it's a pretty ha- hardcore thing to say, but I would almost sort of put forth the concept that finding a woman that has a an untraumatized sort of experience of sex is actually kind of tricky, you know, because mm. our culture, I, I think our culture is traumatizing mm. um, for, for a lot of us. Um, you know, so that's, that's, I'm talking sort of being a young woman growing up in our, in our culture is, it's, a, it's, I think, often a traumatic experience, but that's on top of whatever private traumas or violences or, you know, experiences people might have. Mm, I think you're absolutely right uh, in saying that. And, you know, to add on to that, that healing of trauma, I don't even know if you could say that it's properly begun yet. Um, oh, yeah. And addressing yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is to speak to what you said that you can't have this conversation without addressing that trauma. Yeah. And I would also say that a lot of trauma is relational, like has been experienced in relationship. Um, and it, I don't mean romantic relationship necessarily, like in, in relationship in many forms. But that being the case, I do think a lot of trauma is healed in relationship too. So to sort of look at um, relationships in general as sort of not worthy of being examined or not worthy of public discussion or whatever I think is a, a, a problem you know it, it, it is a healing space and we need to acknowledge and recognize and talk about that yeah absolutely um so you also spoke I'm going to diverge a little bit so you spoke about um the relationship between desire and creativity and kind of how you channel that into your creativity Mm. would you be able to talk on that um yeah for me and I don't know if this is how how much of a unique to me experience this is but it's all always been that way that all of my writing but most especially the first the first two novels and this book I feel like the erotic force of unrequited love and unrequited desire has been I suppose I suppose the kind of propulsive element in what drives the narrative for me or what drives the urge to write. And so, I mean, for me, it's sort of like if you're experiencing that, the force of that feeling, having a place for it to go has always been a problem. It's been a, a problem for me and, and, and writing has been the solution. And then books have been the outcome, you know. Mm. I think it's a very powerful force. So it is, it's sort of worthwhile attempting to harness it for something. Yeah. Other than, you know, just feeling bad about yourself. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a form of healing. Um, you also just said then, so uh, unrequited love and unrequited desire and that channeling into your creativity. You also spoke on the panel about uh, how unrequited love and unrequited desire are not necessarily always sexual or um, from a romantic, intimate relationship point of view. Would you be able to talk about... Um, what unrequited love and desire means outside of a sexual nature. Yeah, so I think, um, I mean, we're all different, so I won't speak for anyone other than me, but, you know, I have, my, my desires are broad. I desire community, I desire connection, I desire touch, uh, non-sexual touch, I desire a sense of understanding, I desire um, a sense of, you know, um, being seen, being, being 
being understood, all of these things are sort of profound desires outside of any form of kind of sexual exchange. So for me, um, my book is looking at that broad canvas, I think, um, and also making, I mean, it's about a sexual relationship, but it's also making a bit of a, um, I think, an argument that a lot of those needs can be met elsewhere. Like our, our culture has such a focus on finding the other that will provide you with a lot of your needs whereas I I would I don't haven't found that an effective strategy for getting needs met mm. for me it's been much a much focusing on a much broader series of desires and um, you know trying in whole different you know whole different avenues for meeting those desires mm, which I think is groundbreaking you know like it's um, by doing that and discussing those kind of fields and elements of desire, I think you're also stepping outside of the sexualization of female desire, which I think so many people immediately think of or move towards when they hear female desire. So I want to say thank you as well for exploring those elements of desire and for expanding people's understanding and idea of how rich and complex women are and that it's not just about sexualization. You said something... Um, that really caught my attention during the panel about how you were recounting the experience of having an allergic reaction to the pos possibility of physical intimacy. Um, would you be able to speak on that? I found that really interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think that I identified as a traumatised person until I encountered this problem, which was that um, whenever I met somebody that I desired and I hoped to move into sexual intimacy with, um, I would experience a whole array of very idiosyncratic physical symptoms. Um, so it, things as bizarre as like my tongue swelling up in my mouth so much that I develop a lisp or um, a lot of shaking, a lot of trembling, a lot of weird, like um, uncontrollable like clothes rolling and I'd even I've even been known a man once told me that I um stood up in the middle of a conversation and just spat on the spot and then sat back down um and I hadn't even really noticed that I'd done it so I suppose they're like um physical compulsive sort of behaviors um which make me feel like my body is really out of my control and it also makes it completely um impossible for me to play it cool like I'm, I'm going through a whole bunch of quite overwhelming physical sensations. And so when this first happened to me in the first relationship that ever happened to me, I just thought it was like a really um, idiosyncratic, extremely embarrassing, weird kind of um, response to the particular person that I was interacting with who was very direct communicator and a very, um, you know, uh, I suppose he didn't, he was a lovely, lovely um, person, but he didn't, um, he didn't, I suppose, give me much time for my body to settle or, um, and also he was quite um, direct about what was happening with my body, like asking me, what is, what are you, what's this about? Um, and, and that seemed to make it kind of worse. Like my, I, I was, I was more embarrassed or I was more um, unsure of what to do. And so I just sort of thought it was a one-off problem. And then um, I realized over time that it wasn't a one-off problem. It was actually the way my body did desire um, and so that kind of alerted me to the fact that I was experiencing some kind of trauma because basically I felt like 
my body was going into a flight or fight mode and I was having a whole bunch of uncontrolled flight responses and also physiological responses like the swollen tongue. Um, and so it, in a sense, because of my body's response, I was forced to investigate what that might mean in terms of my personal history. And that sounds a little bit weird because I think most people who probably have those kind of responses, which I assume aren't actually that uncommon, would have a history of sexual trauma. Um, whereas my trauma wasn't so specific to sex. It was much more around attachment because I'd lost a parent to suicide and also around birth where I, I'd had a couple of very traumatic births. And so it just seemed like a really odd, um, that, that's not a narrative script. I think our culture is very, you know, has its head, has its head around that you could have a, a particular trauma and it might be sort of showing up in a different aspect of your life. And so that's what sort of led me to, in, to writing the book and investigating like why this might be happening to me. Wow, yeah. that's incredible. Again, the many complexities of, of trauma and where they come from mm -hmm. and, and these elements of our, our experiences. Um, you, you write incredibly honest and intimate truths, um, and they're based on your life, most of them as well. Um, I was wondering if you'd be able to speak on why it's so important to have honest and raw female voices in literacy and in the books that we read. Well, I think that for a long time, you know, ways of seeing have been depicted by men and um, we have all absorbed those ways of seeing so I mean that's all that's been available so you know I'm not saying that all women see things the same same way or whatever but having a having a female perspective just broadens the view especially you know if you live in a female body and um, you know we we need that broadening for sure especially if we want to talk about trauma and healing because a lot of the time sexual violence and stuff is really gendered and it affects women at much higher rates so you know we want to hear we want to hear about that i think to, to be able to begin as you said it's only really beginning isn't it that type of healing mm. yeah mm. um i also wanted to speak from uh so you read an excerpt from the book and um, it was a beautiful scene of, of the main character and um, her, I guess, her object of desire um, playing at the beach and, and having this uh, very sensual experience with the water and with each other. Um, and we spoke about how that the object of the, the main character's desire uh, was kind of diffusing her her desire, and I wanted to know um, if there were any elements of rejection trauma or or that kind of a reading that could be um, taken from that excerpt. I mean, that is such an insightful thing to say. Yes, I mean, I do. I think the book, um, because the book in some ways was written in real time, so I didn't know how the relationship was going to end, and so it was a kind of, I think, a, a sort of horrible realization you know i guess I, I had at some point thought about calling the book desire subtitle in in brackets daddy issues um <laughs> as a kind of joke right yeah. and um and and but i had never really expected the relationship to end with a kind of rejection that mirrored my father's rejection of me um and so uh that was never an expectation in terms of what i was forming 
the narrative I was attempting to form, but that was the reality that I was sort of experiencing. So um, I think the book doesn't take that on head on because it's it's written in real time, and I'm and I, I think at the time I'm writing the book that I'm not replaying that trauma really, but it ends it ends up being that I sort of am. And and the little scene that I read in that in that scene. Um, you know, we have a moment of touch in the water and he actually lifts me up by the hips and just moves me out of the way. And, um, and, and I, I think it's kind of funny because it's like he can't manage the degree of um, desire that is in my body at that moment. That, so he has to remove me from the space, even very subtly. But for some reason I find this, this rather than in the moment, I find it a rejection, but I also find it sort of, entertaining because I suppose it makes me feel like I'm so powerful in my desire that he's afraid you know um but yeah in terms of the whole narrative arc of the book and all of that sort of stuff I think daddy issues and rejection what did you call that rejection Re trauma yeah rejection yeah I do trauma. think that that is is definitely coming into play um even though I'm not necessarily engaging with it in an intellectual sense you know I'm sure readers would be feeling that Mm. And I'm sorry, readers, I really wished it wasn't about projection <laughs> <laughs> That was not my preferred outcome. Yeah. Look, I feel like it's one of those really beautiful things that has come out of it because it, it, it also was entertaining, you know, the crowd laughed. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. And I think that that laughter, yeah. you know, it came from a place of, I think a lot of the people in that audience saw themselves yeah. in that. Yeah. And, um, and I think the whole book attempts to do that. Like, And also I would like to add for the record that I think the erotic moment itself is hilarious. Mm. Like it just is. And if you're me, you're having a body that's also not cooperating very well, doing some really, really funny things. I mean, you have to, in a sense, embrace the hilarity of attempting to um, even, get to even get there, you know. And so I do think the book, even though it is so engaged with trauma and with attachment trauma and all that sort of stuff, I think it is also super engaged with, you know, it's a, it's a hilarious thing that we all do and we take it sort of so seriously, but it is so funny. Yeah, yeah. it really is. What advice do you have for aspiring writers? Yeah, I mean, I guess I feel quite... Um, detached from the concept of um, writer as identity and so I think a lot of people when they start out they want to be a writer um, I don't really relate to that at all I mean I didn't start my journey as a writer wanting to be a writer I started my journey as a person grappling really in a really big way with feeling like I had no language from my experience so I just came at it from a completely different uh, perspective. And so I think there's something really powerful in not focusing so much on becoming a writer, but actually focusing more on um, finding a language for your experience, be that fiction or nonfiction or poetry or, you know, whatever genre that you want to work in. Um, because I think there's something about identifying as a writer or wanting to identify as a writer that actually feels really confining and there's a lot of pressure involved and there's a lot of feeling of failure and even when you publish you feel like that all the time because as soon as you publish you know you're asked what your next book will be and it, you know it's like being caught in a kind of a kind of spiral or cycle of of 
pressure and failure and no one talks about any of that aspect whereas you know I would much prefer to exist as a person like living a life that's really broad and full of different things who also writes but who doesn't isn't a writer that's that's my that's my dream that's what I aim for Mm, that was so beautiful thank you again for your honesty (laughs) and rawness in that in that um response it's I feel like that's what makes your writing so beautiful is that it's so honest and so you and thank you so much Thank you.